I had Logan Paul on my million. podcast. Would Logan do it with me? <laughs> Logan would kick your ass, I think. Mm. You're riding a fucking fantastic wave. How could you not make some mistakes along the way? Think, How can you be for small government and then have the government dictate all these things you. in your personal life, exactly. right? You idiots. idiots. You got it completely wrong. Can't you just wake up <laughs> exactly. and stop? I was walking down the hallway like a dotted bull with a needle sticking out of my ass. Tell me the five steps to like, to the gates of the point where someone like you would say, I want this guy in my life. I want to help this guy. Hey, Jordan Belfort here, the Wolf of Wall Street, and I am back once again in the new vastly improved Wolf's Den, where once each week you can get anything you could ever want out of a success-oriented, business-oriented, and of course, sales-oriented, and at times, laugh-out-loud, funny, and totally irreverent podcast. And as always, with this new format, I begin each episode with a 20 to 30-minute rant or topic I discuss here. It could be anything. And then after that, I bring on a guest. Now, last week we had Dan Penner, which was such an amazing podcast. It was my all-time best performing podcast. Not a shock because he's an awesome guy and really interesting. But we did so much talking back and forth. It was just, just on and on. I had to divide it up into a part one and part two. So what you're going to get after this is part two of the Dan Penner podcast. And the topics are just incredible. But I want to start here by talking about a couple of things. I want to focus in on two things that Dan and I discuss in this part two. Um, and one is this comment Dan is very famous for, which is about, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your life, what your life is like, basically, because you are who you associate with, right? So this is something that I've said again and again. It starts with this thing that your mother probably told you or your father growing up. He goes, she goes, you know, if you lie down with dogs, you'll wake up with fleas, right? Like, it's true. You are who you associate with. Your peer group is going to be responsible for not only setting your standards in life, meaning like, you know, what you aspire to, what you believe you must have in life. If all your friends are wildly successful, all making a ton of money, well, then guess what? The chances are, are really, really high that you're going to say, well, shit, that's what I need to feel good about myself, and you're going to aspire to that same level of success and money-making. If your friends are a bunch of freaking couch potatoes, okay, who are aspiring to nothing but barely scraping by, then it's very likely that your standard for you in your own life will be, look, you know, I feel okay just scraping by. And at the end of the day, just never forget this, right? And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this analogy before, but your standards are really very much like a thermostat. So imagine in a house, and you have the boiler downstairs, and you have the thermostat, right? It's in each room, and the thermostat is what tells the boiler whether or not it should kick on and generate heat. So in other words, if you set the thermostat to, let's say, 72 degrees, that's how hot you want the room. They call it room temperature in Fahrenheit. For those of you in centigrade, I think it's maybe 20 or 8, whatever, it's 18 or 20, right? But either way... Um, you set it for 72 degrees Fahrenheit. If the temperature in that room drops below 72, it sends a message, an impulse to the boiler, turn on, and it then sends heat into that room. If the room heats up above 72, goes to 73, a message gets sent to the boiler, up, oh, it's hot enough, turn off. You get it? So this is very much exactly how things work when it comes to success. Your thermostat is your standard. 
This is the, the number, the amount of money that in your heart and in your mind, you say, this is how much I have to make to feel comfortable. Room temperature, to be comfortable, right? You're not too hot, which means you're making too much money. You're not too cold, which means you're not making enough money. You're at room temperature. That's your set point. And as you start to succeed in life and you start making more money with greater ease, like, for example, one of the things that I saw with the straight line system, my sales training, is that when I trained people and taught them to become expert closers naturally, they just started making more money. It becomes easier to make money. You have a skill that's very powerful and that can put a lot of money in your pocket. But if your standard is to make $100,000 a year or whatever that number might be, and all of a sudden the sales training allows you to make 200000 a year, guess what? No, you won't do it. You'll actually work less. So you know what? Wow, I could actually use the sales training now and I can make hundred grand and not work as much. So you won't work. This, if it took you 40 hours to make hundred grand, and now you can make it in 20. Your brain's not going to say, oh, damn, let's work 40 hours and make 200. No, you'll work half as much and you'll relax because that set point, that standard, that's the number that your brain is telling you, this is where I belong. This is where I feel good. This is my point where I'm okay. Everything is as it should be. Think about it. If you're hanging out with a bunch of worthless fucking losers who make shit for money, who sit there and have low standards when it comes to succeeding, they're okay living paycheck to paycheck. Guess what? There's a 99% chance you will eventually adopt and settle at that same standard. You will. Because it's like monkey see, monkey do, social pressure, peer pressure, the freaking echo chamber of social media, what you see, what you post, what is okay. If your friends, your peer group are a bunch of worthless losers, that's what's going to end up happening to you. The most surefire way to raise your standards is to surround yourself with people with very high financial standards. It's the same adage when you're looking to invest in real estate. The best investment typically, and again, there's always exceptions, typically the best investment is I'd rather buy the smallest house, the least expensive home on the most expensive block because all the other surrounding houses bring up the value of your house. Conversely, you buy the biggest, most ostentatious mansion in the worst part of town, I can promise you this, five years down the road, if you look at those two investments, the person that invested in the house in the great neighborhood, smallest house, they're going to make a lot more money on their money that they put down versus the person that built the ostentatious mansion in the poorest part of town. There's an upscaling, an uplifting of value that inures to your home, to your life, to you when it comes to your own personal standard for money and success. When you surround yourself, the equivalent, putting yourself amongst a peer group of very successful, very driven people, you have to, at a certain point, I don't care how old you are, you got to take a good look around and say, who the fuck am I associating with? If you're associating with people who have really low morality, 
like low moral standards, guess what? You'll become low, you'll, you'll be amoral. You'll adopt those same low moral standards. If you hang around people who are typically very religious oriented, chances are you will adopt those beliefs and those values and those standards. That's how human beings are. We're, 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 we survive best in peer groups and we take our social cues from that accordingly. So when I had these kids that came to work for me back in the day in Stratton and they walked in from disempowered backgrounds, feeling disempowered financially, I knew that unless I raised their standards, unless I literally had them rethink what was okay, they would use the training I gave them in sales and simply not work as hard and make the same amount of money because that was their set point. You got to raise your freaking set point. That's the bottom line. If you want to live an empowered life, if you want to live a great first-class life, great family, great partner, great house, great vacation, seeing the greatest things, eating the best food, driving the nicest cars, you got to raise your fucking standards. You can't have beer standards and a champagne vision for your future. Doesn't work. You know what we call those people? The people that have those, oh, I have a great vision for their future. Oh my God, it's so bold and bright. I'm going to be rich. I'll be famous. I'm going to make so much money. But they're not actually willing to do the fucking work. They have a beer standard. Couch potato standard. Champagne vision. We call those hapless dreamers. They dream and they talk, but never follow through. They don't walk their talk. On the other hand, what we often find is people, especially I see this a lot, because a lot of the people that come to me when I do live events, they have very high standards. That's why they're there. They're there because you know they want to make money. They're willing to do the work. They'll put in as much effort as they can. And many are succeeding. They're actually doing okay, but they feel like they're lacking that, that spark, that special something. They don't jump out of bed each morning. They pay their bills. They have a little limit on their credit card left. They can maybe take a vacation. But they don't feel fully alive. And that's the opposite situation. That's when you have a very high standard, call it a champagne standard, but a beer vision. You don't know really where you want to go in life. You haven't fully developed a what I call a fully integrated vision for your future. Meaning, where do you see yourself in five years from now and why does it matter to you? See, it's not enough just to say, okay, I could imagine that in five years, this is how I want my life to look. I want this house. I want this career. I want this travel this way. I want to have a family. I want to live like this. I want to help. I want to give back in this way. That's your vision for the future, right? And that's the target that you aim for. And without that vision, typically people feel very uninspired. And they feel like there's something missing. What's it all for? Why am I working so hard? Yeah, I'm making money. But they they don't feel that like pop out of bed each morning and seize life, right? Which sucks. The good news is it's easy to fix. You develop a fully integrated vision for your future. And when I say integrated, what I mean by that is part of that vision has to include your why. Why does success 
matter to you? What are you going to do? What will you accomplish? Because here's the deal. If you ask the average person, well, why do you want to be that successful? Why do you want I love money. I want a Ferrari. I want a big, that's, that's not a why. That's not your why. Let me give you a hint here. When it comes to your why, as a human being, here's the secret. We will always do more. We'll always work harder for someone else that we truly love unconditionally or a cause that we believe in than we would do for ourselves. Case in point, if there was a wall of fire there and I had to run through this wall of fire to escape of the burning building, right? I'd probably, for a second, I'd, shit, it's fucking hot. I, 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 I'd go and I'd, <laughs> baby, oh, is there any other? I'd jump out. No, I'd probably hesitate. Eventually, I'd run through if it was between that and burning. But what if there was this wall of fire and I knew my children were on the other side of that fire and I was the only person that could go and get through that wall and rescue them and shield them and get them out alive? What would you do if it was your children, if you have any? Think about that. You wouldn't hesitate for a I would not even hesitate for I, I'd run through it. I wouldn't care if I died to save my children because we'll always do something more for someone that we love. The story I tell about this is people say to me, how did you take the time when you were in jail and actually get stronger? Like, how did you rebuild your life? I learned to write. When I was in jail, that's when I did the work and taught myself to write. And I got to tell you, it wasn't easy. And being in jail sucks. It does. I wasn't in the worst jail in the world. I wasn't getting taken up the butthole. It wasn't like that. I hadn't be shit scared to bend over in the shower. All right. It wasn't that bad. But jail sucks and jail's jail, right? Separated from your family. You're like basically the loser of society. You're with the losers. People who lost the game of life temporarily. Many people don't recover from that. People say, how did you not only recover, but you actually wrote this book or taught yourself to write in jail? How were you able to break through that negativity? Because it was there. I will not deny that there were many nights when I was alone with my thoughts in my bunk and I just was like, felt like I couldn't go on. And here's my secret. When I felt like I couldn't go on, when it was those worst nights of all, I would close my eyes and I'd imagine the faces of my two children. That was it. That was my why. I wanted to come back and I wanted to make them proud. That was my why. I would do anything to show my children that dad, yeah, dad made a mistake, but he could do it right too and be even better, bigger than before. The power that I was able to draw, the personal power that I drew from that was what allowed me to overcome every barrier and obstacle that stood in my way while I was in prison, not even having a computer to write with, no courses to take, the negativity of being in jail and having your freedom taken from you. And I knew I deserved it because I had made mistakes. Yet the power, the personal power of the unconditional love for my children was more potent than everything else combined. And that was my secret. That was how I was able to take that terrible situation and turn it into the comeback story of the century. So what's the lesson for you? Well, my question is this. Number one, do you have a vision for your future? 
Do you really know where you want to go? Do you, is it bold? Is it bright? When you read that vision, you got to write it down. You have to write it down. A detailed vision. That's your target. And why does it matter to you? And it's not going to be for money. It's not going to be for fame or glory. It's going to be about either someone or some people that you believe in and love to death and you're doing it for them because you want to better their life. It could be society as a whole. It could be a cause, but it's not going to be selfish old you. That's not where your greatest personal power lies. Your greatest personal power lies in giving back to others. I promise you that once you make this shift, this distinction, you will find yourself literally jumping out of bed each morning. And when you combine that with really high personal standards, meaning make sure that your standards are not those beer, you know, couch potato-like standards. You put those two things in place and you possess the skills for success, you can't help but get rich. You just can't fucking help it. Because your brain and your body won't allow for it. In the movie Jerry Maguire, one of my favorite scenes is that where they talk about, like, you know, the Quan, right? And Cuba Gooding plays that Rod Tilbert was his name in the movie, right? And they're saying, you know, he wants the Quan. And Jerry Maguire's like, what's the Quan? Tom Cruise. He goes, the Quan, you know, the best of everything is the money. It's the connection, the love, the power, the community, everything, and the money too. It's not just money. Success at the highest level is about giving back. It's about community. It's about connection, contribution, everything. That's the quan. You're never going to get that. You're never going to have that unless you know exactly where you want to go in life. You must have a vision for your future. That's your target. And then you have these other goals. That, this is different from goals. See, the goals that you set are the stopping points along the way. All your goals are there for is to tell you whether or not you're heading in the right direction or the wrong direction to your vision for the future. So you set a goal, and then you put a date on that goal. That goal's got a date, a beginning point and an end point. It's a finite, tangible goal. And then you take action towards that goal. And when you're setting your goals correctly, very often you won't actually hit your goal because you want to stretch. It's not important that you actually hit your goal. Your goal is a signpost along the way towards that vision. I ask you, I said, when you set your goals, I want you to stretch. Meaning, don't set your goals as average. Conversely, you don't want to set your goals so outlandishly high. Next year, I want to make more money than Jeff Bezos. Your brain will call bullshit on that. That's not possible. Really, it's just not. You're not going to be worth $150 billion next year or something around there. So if you come along, I want to be, the, 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 I want to be uh, the, the, a general in the army. That's my, you're in, <laughs> fuck, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's nice to wish. It's not a goal. But then again, if you're making 100 grand and you set your goal to make 115 grand, there's no power in that because here's the truth. At the end of the day, what stops 99% of people from achieving in life is not they set their goals too high and they miss them. That is not what stops people from living awesome lives. It's not they set their goals too high and miss them. The problem is they set their goals too low. And they do hit them. 
because the enemy of greatness is not terribleness. The enemy of great is average. And hence, that's my famous quote, average sucks. I want you to wipe this idea of average out of your fucking brain. Average sucks. There's no power in average. There's no glory. There's no love. There's no connection. There's no quan that's not there. Average is not life. You want to be extraordinary. You want to burn bright. You want to be a force everywhere you go, a light that burns bright, that gives energy back, a light when you walk into every room. The enemy of great is good. It's average, and average fucking sucks. The man I'm about to bring on for part two, if you haven't seen part one, you should watch it first, but either way, the man I'm about to bring on is the probably, I think, the most ardent proponent of this very thing that average sucks that you can't hang out with average people and expect to be extraordinary those people have to be dropped like bad fucking habits that's why I despise weak people snowflakes when I say I mean, I mean weak minded people snowflakes people that need safe spaces I don't want these people they disgust me they fucking disgust me because those people will make you think you need the same and you don't. You're tougher than that. You're more resilient than that. You need to become impervious to the judgment of others. You need to become impervious to the criticism of others. We live in a world where if you do anything decent in this world, there'll be a million haters on your back trying to bring you down. Because misery loves company. Negativity loves company. And I promise you, all those trollers, the ones that troll on me and hate on me or hate on any one of the other successful, really public people out there, they're broke. They're losers. They have terrible lives. They're gross and disgusting and should be avoided at all costs. Now, ironically, I make a lot of money from those people because when those haters come and hate on me, my real fans, the ones who help who I help and who love me, and there's millions of them, they attack and destroy those people and let them know what worthless bugs they really are. But if you ever find yourself needing to hate on someone else, the first place you need to look is in the fucking mirror. There's something wrong. You need to do some self-examination there. All of us have glass houses. Yeah, I made some big mistakes, and I've helped tens of millions of people too. None of us are perfect. We all have glass houses. And if you think you can succeed by hating on someone else, you're in for a very rude awakening, my friend. There's no success in that. There's no advancement in that. And there's no happiness in that. There's only a temporary abatement from the massive misery that you're feeling when you're doing that. Because if you're hating on someone else, you've got to be in a lot of pain yourself. So think about that next time. And you know what the great thing is? You can make a shift like that. You can stop being a hater and start being a person that promotes success, that promotes advancement, that helps other people, lifts others up around. If you don't have anything nice to say, then keep it to your fucking self. That's my belief online. Bottom line. And the person I'm going to bring on right now is going to crystallize this probably at an even higher level because there's their core belief here about who you hang out with 
about what's going on these days with the echo chambers online where, you know, you have conservatives on one side, liberals on the other, and the social media companies only show you what they think you want to hear. So you end up with these these skewed versions of reality where if you're a liberal, you're seeing ultra-liberal and more ultra before you know what, you're a freaking radical liberal. And if you're a conservative, you're a radical conservative. Yet the truth is that most people in this country are somewhere in the middle. We're centrists, like me. I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal. I don't care who you fuck. I don't care what you do to yourself. Just don't hurt me. I don't care who you marry. I don't care if you believe in God. That's your choice as a human. I mean, think about it. How could we live in a country where, you know, about the government is, you know, liberty and the pursuit of, oh, okay, fair enough. If it's liberty, then get the fuck out of my life. The government should not be telling us what we do with our bodies or what we do with our lives if we're not hurting other people. That's my belief. Now, many people disagree with me, and that's okay. I don't judge them. I'm friends with them. What I can't take is these liberal retards now, and I'll say that, oh, he said said that word. Oh, no. Yeah, I said it. I fucking said it. Liberal retards right now who have lost their collective mental nut who, like, they are the fascists. They're putting hate labels on anybody who doesn't agree with their warped view of fucking reality. It's a joke. And you know what I'm saying is true. You know I'm right here. That ridiculous bullshit of a, where, where everything someone says is taken the wrong way. What was it the other day I heard? That some woman said something after Kobe died, which was a disaster, right? A fucking disaster. And I, I cried. It really impacted me. And I heard one woman got attacked because she said something that like, what, it was like one word like what, could have been construed both ways. And she was like attacked. She should be thrown off the, she should be destroyed. What the fuck? Are you that fucking weak? Do you have that lack, much of a lack of self, of a constitution, your, self, your, your ability to self-regulate? To not have the last thing that, Entered your fucking senses, throw you for a fucking tizzy. The worst one I ever heard was this was a girl. I saw this video of a girl on a college campus. She's like, she's wailing over like Donald Trump. What the fuck? If you don't like the guy, guess what? Vote him out of office. That's America. You don't wail and scream and cry and, oh my God, freak out. This is not how successful people, and when I say successful, I don't just mean money. People who are succeeding in life and are happy and are thriving and are moving forward and are productive members of society. It's not how you act. That's a passport to fucking misery. And I don't want you near me or anybody I know or love. That's my two cents for this week. And with that, I will bring on a man, if you think I'm severe... And if you think I have an edge, well, I'm a, honestly almost like a ballet dancer next to this guy. Because this guy, he really tells it like his fuck it is. We'll take a short break here for a few seconds and right back with Mr. Dan Pena, the legend himself. All I know in I teach is closing. I'm a hammer closer. I beat him to a fucking pulp. If they say no 50 times, the 51st time they're going to say yes. I told you earlier on, I've seen the sun come down and go up sitting at the same fucking coffee table or kitchen table. Negotiating. A, reclosing, 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 reclosing. Not you, taking you, no for a fucking yeah, answer. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, no, no, no for an answer. Ooh. Let me ask you this. An interesting question in terms of the people, there's people out there like on the internet right now, a lot of like 
ex- people that brand themselves as experts, right? Um, Most of which aren't. Right. Okay. What do you What do you think about you know that whole process that's going on right now? Where there's a lot of charlatans out there that they'll hear a few things that you say, some things that I say. They haven't done the work. They haven't lived the life. Had the trials, tribulations, successes, fails. Yet position themselves as experts trying to make money. Some probably have good intentions, others not so good. What do you think of that whole industry into itself? Well, the, the, there's no uh, verification or qualification process. It doesn't exist. You can put up your shingle and say that you're uh, a marketing guru, a sales guru, whatever kind of guru, uh, and, uh, and there's no verification process. My life is on the Internet. The only thing, and just recently, uh, maybe a year ago, everything I've ever done, Good, bad, and ugly. And I said, the only thing that's not on the internet is which hand I wipe my ass with. And I'm going to tell you today, it's my right hand. Me me too. It's my right hand. Except when I had my shoulder surgery. It was the left. It was really fucking uncomfortable for a while when I had surgery. But yeah. But there's no no verification. More importantly, which hand do you jerk off with, though? It's the one. I'm a a lefty. I'm I'm a jerk off. That's me. You know, opposite. Switch hitter if I have to be, though. Yeah. But there is no verification. There's there's nothing that. that there's any kind of guarantee that they actually did the stuff. And uh, the, uh, somebody will send me something. Right now, they're sell- uh, I don't sell anything, but uh, uh, my book that I wrote, Your First Hundred Million, uh, 15 years ago, uh, I'm a 25-year overnight success as, as, as a coach. Uh, but 15 years ago, I wrote a book, Your First Hundred Million, because I thought that that was the hardest my first, when I made my first hundred million. And now people are reprinting it in the Philippines, and in China, and selling it on Amazon. I just, uh, I have it, the audio versions for free on my site. I just, somebody just sent me, before I came over here, my audio vision, uh, version, which is free, is 20 bucks on Amazon. 20 bucks on Amazon. And uh, the, uh, about 10 years ago, my kids came to me, uh, my marketing guy, and he said, um, have you heard of Torrent, Mr. Pena? Uh, I didn't know what it was. He says, all of uh, your stuff is on torrent. So what? I thought it was a, they were selling it. And I said, no, they're, they're, they're selling it, but they're not or giving it away yeah, free. Yeah. And that's when I went to the uh, no uh, revenue. I get, started giving all my product away free. Uh, and so, so I haven't sold it. But as soon as torrent, I was aware of it. I said, well, I don't like customer service anyway. <laughs> I said, fuck them, because they always wanted something else. So uh, we started giving away the product for free. And that's where we stand today. Interesting. So I, my opinion on that is people that are going to pirate are going to pirate no matter what you do. And those that want to pay will pay if they if something is really, really good. So I because you could drive yourself crazy with the torrent shit. I did in the beginning. My first thing was like, oh, my God, I got in the universe. It's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> you hit them here, they pop up somewhere else. There's really nothing. So you know what? I remember the funny with The Wolf of Wall Street was the single most pirated movie in the history of all movies. It had, I think, 300 million illegal downloads. The movie. But there was a reason for that. You know why? You'd appreciate this. Because there was so many fucking curses that anywhere in the Muslim world, the movie was like 45 minutes long. They had to edit out all the sex and curses. So you had like the opening and the clip. Like, what happened? <laughs> so you had to edit and get it illegally and you couldn't watch it. It was so edited down, you know? What do you think about that, that aspect in terms of like, you know, there's all this religious stuff going on right now with like the Muslims and Middle East. What do you what do you think of any of well, uh, the well? Um, well, in another thousand years, we're not going to be any better off. Uh, I've been partners uh, with the Israel government. I've been partners with the uh, Kuwaiti government. 
I've been Me partnered. too. By the way, it's interesting because yeah, my experience is so disright what you're saying. I've done a lot of business. I've never seen the hatred when I'm there. It's like they're just so accepting. It's yeah. really interesting. But right? I mean, the, the uh, it's not going to change. I mean, they've been fighting over the same shit for a thousand years. How much do you think is the press making it seem an awful lot worse than it is? For, yeah, that, you're right. They're fighting over the same swath of land. That's, when you have religious things, it's such emotion. You're never going to probably resolve that, at least not anytime soon. But my experience, I go to the Middle East a lot. I've been to all the countries that are Muslim. They're wonderful people. There's no hatred. How much do you think is manufactured, like a small group yelling very, very loud? I think, I think a lot of it is manufactured. And, and to, to quote the President Trump, fake news. You know, uh, they embellish, and sometimes they just flat out lie. You know, they they make things up that didn't happen. Um, the um, it just I I you know, and I I first went to the Middle East in the early '80s, and uh, the uh, and it hasn't changed. I mean, and I, for a, a long time uh, I, I uh, was the one of the principal uh, investment vehicles for the Kuwaiti uh, government sovereign fund. And uh, the, uh, the Al-Sabah family, who were very nice to me, uh, and um, uh, Western-educated. Almost all those guys are Western-educated. They go to Rosé yeah. boarding school and, yeah. and right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, But it, 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 it's, it's a lot of manufacturing. I watch Al Jazeera, which is the Arab station. Sure. If I want to get more or less, there's, there's CNN on the, on the left. Yeah. And there's Fox on the right. right. And Al Jazeera is kind of in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, those are the three... Um, I watch uh, both sides as well because yeah. it's interesting, by the way, because you would think that there's a different world going on. If you watch Fox and CNN, you're like, is, is this the same world we live in? In fact, there's a professor who did something on Facebook, and this, I think, is also a problem. She created two profiles simultaneously, and with one, she started liking things that were only conservatively bent, and the other profile, she liked things that were liberally bent. And then I think it was 30 days later, the news feeds were like completely different News feeds. All they would do is they're putting you in an echo chamber of like-minded thinkers. So whatever you thought, you're getting almost like more of that until it becomes an exaggeration of itself. I mean, see, it happened to me because I do bend conservative, right? And you notice that you know all of a sudden my news feed is getting further and further to the right. And they and I think that's David. The you know the algorithms they like they show you what they think you want to see, so you don't get both sides. What do you think about that? No, I, I think that's correct. But the good news is there is no compressed algorithm for my 50 years experience and your 35 or 40 years experience. They haven't figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> and probably not in my lifetime. They're, they're Hopefully not, gonna, not mine either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's the benefit we have. And uh, you, you made the comment earlier about people that are stealing our shit and they're charlatans. Uh, the, uh, they, they are taking things that we uh, have developed or stand, and or stand for, and they are benefiting without the experience. So where it really comes to bear is during a Q&A, and that's why most of these guys don't have Q&As, because they can't answer the questions. <laughs> They can't answer the question. I mean, intelligently. Sure. And so, uh, and whereas uh, guys like us can, because unless you've lived it, you're just, you know, you're reading something out of a book um, or you're reading, uh, you're listening to a podcast. And, uh, but the, the, the real learning experience is having, getting knocked down, stand up, knocked down, et cetera, et cetera. You strike me as a person that certainly does not live with regrets, but are there things? I have three regrets. What are they? My first regret is I'm a combat-trained army officer who never saw combat, uh, one. Number two, uh, the night uh, before my mother passed away, I'm screaming at her, God damn it, don't be a fucking bitch, you're not sick. The next morning, she's dead. I'd like to have that one back. Uh, and the third, I didn't set my goals high enough. Interesting. 
So along that vein, my when my I don't think I invent. I'm sure I didn't invent this, but I say it because I'm sure many people. I said the enemy of great is good. Yeah. You know, it's like what really so when you when you're doing terrible, there's pain, so you'll change. Average is the fucking enemy of everything because when you're average, you're like, well, things aren't so bad. I guess it's okay. No pain to change, right? So you're saying that for you, even in your own, because you seem like a guy that sets very lofty goals, but even in your life, well, is that you still think, or is that from a time when you were young? Do you? No, no. I mean uh, the. Uh even though I made a lot of money, I mean, uh, and it was it wasn't hard for me to make a lot of money, but uh, I I wasn't thinking in uh, in tens of billions when I was setting my goals. Uh, the uh, and I would now and, and the kids uh, at the talk I gave uh, in London just a few days ago, uh, uh, they they're working on a documentary about me and they found this couple named the Bricks from Maryland who attended the seminar in 1996 that are multi-billionaires now that I have not heard from. And they have this testimonial video. We want to thank you. Uh, the, and I always wonder what happened to them, okay? Um, uh, but we've just crossed over a trillion dollars created with meatheads, just like they're going to listen to this, okay? And the, uh, but, uh, of success created for other people yeah, as a mentor and coach, yeah, right? yeah, which yeah, is an yeah, amazing yeah, thing, yeah, by the yeah, way. Other people. Which is um, amazing. And the, uh, but the bricks... And and then uh, you know every once in a while some guy will come up and you know he's got you know five billion dollars or three billion dollars or three billion euros that I never heard of, um, and, and so the, the the fact is that people you can't copy that okay you know you either produce those people or you didn't and in my particular case I I've been fortunate enough uh, but if I when I'm getting done with my talk if you like me I fucked up. <laughs> If you if you ca- care tough about love in there, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, you may respect me. Ten years after the results made you five hundred million bucks, but I, you know, nobody likes me. I mean, people piss their pants in my talks, shit their pants in the talks during my talks, pass out during my talks. How long are the talks typically? Uh, two hours uh, to five hours. Uh, at the castle, they're a week long, fifty hours. I would fucking love to see someone shit their pants. I'd pay. To, I'd love to see that. Well, process. he was a he was a KPMG partner, right? Big four accounting firm. Do you know what caused the sphincter to relax? What was, was there any particular words that caused uh, it, that triggered the, the sphincter? That, that, that his Oxford education didn't mean shit, pun intended, uh, and that he should have rolled down the inside of his mother's leg. <laughs> Never been born. And the sphincter just. Yep. Right, right there. Yeah, no, you know, when you die. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course, the battlefield smells like fucking terror, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. correct. Not that I've been on a battlefield, but I heard that's the case, yeah, right? Yeah. But this guy used fucking, this thing, that was it. And then he wrote me a letter on stationery saying that I knew I was a man, and I used to use it as a slide <laughs> back in the old days. And so some of the senior guys, hey, Dan, give us a break. I mean, can't you just put a, and it was a big eight accounting firm, and then the, can't you just say a big eight accounting firm partner, <laughs> you know, shit his pants or soiled himself? They wanted, they didn't want me to say shit his pants, soiled himself. I have some friends that suffer some severe constipation. I'm going to send them to your event because that's like a fucking trigger. What do you think it is that people are mostly not honest with us? What's happening, I think, is this, is that you have a way through language, just very direct. You're cutting through their own bullshit story, Correct. right? And you're making them get honest with themselves because unless they're honest, there's no room for change. How do you, it's almost like, I, I liken it to like the way a navigation system works, right? In a car. 
Like yeah, you, you want to get to where you have a destination, success, money, right? That's your destination, right? The strategy itself is the way the, the, the algorithms, they'll get you there. But you can't get anywhere without an accurate starting point. And that starting point is where are you right fucking now? What's right in your life? What's wrong in life? What things do you need to know? What do you have to learn? What associations do you have to break? Because I know you're, listen, I, 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 I know you say this, right? You are who your friends are. I couldn't fucking agree more. Show me your friends. I'll show, show you your future. My mother used to say to me, if you lie down with dogs, you'll wake up. She never could have been more right. You lie, and it's very fucking true because I've had some, a lot of fucking dogs that gave me fleas. And some of the, I was the fucking dog myself. I'll admit that too. And in my, in my younger and sort of, you know, times where I wasn't quite thinking as clearly, whatever that might be. But did you ever get consumed with drugs at all? No. No. It seems like I think you missed that generation. No, right? yeah. I, I missed it. But I'll tell you why I missed it. My dad was a cop. Cop that went into the CIA, and really, uh, yeah. What was yeah. that like? Analyst or a field guy? Uh, well, my if you Google Manny Pena, he sounded uh, like a fucking a, a wild. No, no, he uh, he uh, assassinated between thirteen and thirty-three people, depending on what version. Who you all hear. deserved it? I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. I, all of them did. I agree. And, and so, uh, but uh, he came when I was about thirteen or fourteen. He had read a little pamphlet on bonding with your son. Okay, so the uh, first thing he did is he told me about the birds and the bees. Which I hadn't, he had never given me, the, the talk lasted about 30 seconds. Birds and the bees, okay. The second thing is he sat me down in the living room and he went in and got his revolver, he had eight inch Smith and Wesson, loaded. He pulled the hammer back and he put it to my head. I can still close my eyes, I can still see the bullets in the chamber. He said, uh, We're gonna have a talk about drugs now, Danny. Okay, there's no cure for motherfucking drugs except a motherfucking bullet in your motherfucking head, and I'll put it there. My mother's standing off, off screen over here, screaming and yelling, Manny, Manny, you might pull the trigger by accident. He says, no, when I pull the trigger to blow his fucking brains out, it'll be on purpose. <laughs> I never did drugs. Never. I can't understand. I, you had this I, old scared straight. Yeah, they, yeah, they put I, kids I, in a prison. I miss, I miss drugs. It's like that scared straight yeah. on steroids, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I miss drugs. And the, uh, uh, so, I mean... Uh, a, a product of the '60s to miss drugs. I know. I'm. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I think also like my my experience for me that I, if I could change one thing, it would be the drug. I would not have done those. It was terrible. It was destructive. I can't look back at one memory I had and say it was better because I did drugs. You know. So I really would definitely would have changed that. Now aspect. I had my first marijuana cookie a few months ago. Oh fuck! I hate. Oh dude. Okay. Uh, no, no. We're in, we're in Amsterdam. Oh, no. Um, uh, for a talk. And uh, my wife and uh, my, my, business, my business partner went out and they, and they bought some cookies and they were in, in the suite. And, and so I went and uh, opened the fridge, got a beer, and I looked at it. And so I broke off part of the cookie and I, I'm eating it. And they come back from shopping. I thought, God damn, this tastes good. What, what kind of cookie is this? You know? And I mean, and the beer, I mean, I could taste the, the beer. It just tasted terrific. Okay? And so then we, they didn't say anything. So then we went out to dinner. Can we have some more bread and butter? Can we have, I mean, and, and then, then they both start laughing. He says, man, that was a marijuana cookie. So now I'm a drug addict. Drug addict. I mean, I never had food that tasted that damn. I always thought that was bullshit. I know. And so, uh, it was unbelievable. So that I have now, I can't say that I've never done drugs because I had a marijuana cookie. But then I forgot, and I put one of them in my briefcase, and we're on the way to the airport, and my wife said, uh, you, you got rid of those, that cookie. No, it's in my briefcase. Dan, you, you can't go through, I mean, the sniffer dogs are going to find that. And he said, so I had to get rid of the cookie. But so I have had uh, a marijuana cookie now. Uh, so, so, uh, the, you know, I, I despise marijuana. Of all the drugs, it's the one drug that didn't agree. It makes me paranoid, right? One day, maybe like seven, eight years ago, I had the kids, they were younger. We were going skiing. And my ex-wife, you know, they, someone gave us a cookie, right? 
And we said, all right, the kids all went to the mountains like eight in the morning. We said, we have all day to like go up and down. So like, you know, whatever happens. So we each take a little bit of the cookie, right? 20 minutes later, nothing. So we take a little bit more of the cookie, nothing. Another hour, a little more, nothing. Hour and a half later, she goes out to get a drink. She comes back in and she gets stuck in the door. She goes, I can't turn left. I, and she's stuck and I start having this fucking panic attack and I'm flipping out. I'm like, oh my God. I'm just like, I'm, it's not good, right? I hear, I'm like, no. I'm like, who is it? It's me, Carl, my son. I'm like, he goes, let me. I'm like, no, I, I can't. He comes in. I'm like, he goes, can you get me an omelet? I'm like, ah, I can't. And he's like, what's wrong with you? All the kids, one by one, came back from the mountain. I literally was shaking for eight. It was the worst experience. It didn't affect you, like, emotionally. It didn't no, freak you. Oh, my God. You saw it food. freaked me yeah. out. You just wanted to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And never better. Yeah. Oh, God. The food was delicious. My mouth's watering just thinking about it now. But the, um, yeah, I never. And, and, uh, uh, We're going to go for dinner at this, right? Yes, We're not yes. eating marijuana first. No, 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 fucking, no. I'll be shaking again. I can't take it. does no, not agree with me. No, no. But I mean, it. Um, uh, my wife, Sally, uh, it doesn't, the food didn't, but I'm a food freak. You know, I've always liked food. And so uh, she can take food or leave it. You know? I'm, I'm like your wife. I yeah. can take food or leave it. Yeah. But um, so I, <laughs> I, I, missed, uh, I missed that. The, uh, uh, so he, bonding. So he, he told me about the birds and the bees. He told me about drugs. And so then he took me to a father-son picnic. You know, I, I must have been 14-ish. And, uh, the, um, and so the dad, they, they have these out, outdoor gym apparatus where the chin-up bar and rings and stuff like that. So my dad's uh, watching them. Now, my dad was an all-American gymnast. And uh, so he says, stand here. Short of a tsunami knocking me down, I'm not moving. He goes into the, he takes his shoes off, and there was sand underneath uh, the uh, apparatus, and he jumps up on the rings. He goes into an, now he's 41 years old. He goes into an iron iron cross, cross, and then he does a reverse iron cross with his feet above him, and then he does a perfect dismount, and then all the other fathers disappeared. (laughs) And and he didn't wear white beater t-shirts, you know, but I mean, he had big fucking arms. And so uh, they looked like they were wife beaters. And so uh, the, uh, but he, he was a bad motherfucker. He just was. Now, uh, the story is that the, they brought him out of retirement in 1968 to cover up the Sirhan Sirhan uh, when he killed Robert Kennedy. Uh, and so my dad came out of retirement and headed up the uh, federal investigation for the Sirhan Sirhan case. Really? So they said a spook out of retirement to cover up the assassination because there were people that said it was more than one gun, not just Sirhan Sirhan. They say he was programmed, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 blah, yeah. Blah, blah. And, uh, and so, uh, so Dad, uh, he taught at Langley, the CIA. They, he taught a course, When to Shoot. And they, the real name of the course was When to Kill. And his nickname was Blow Em Up. The only clean shooting is there's no witnesses. You got to kill everybody. <laughs> now, so this is who raised me. Wow. Yeah, and so the... Uh, it's like the mafia has cur- that. To Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You only, you know, dead men tell no tales. Absolutely. Well, he, he said it a little different. <laughs> you don't have to go through any inquiries. You don't, I mean, there's, there's no tribunals. There's nobody judging you. It's your word against dead people. Hence Oswald being shot by fucking correct. Jack Ruby, who had cancer, was gone, and boom, <laughs> clean, no marks, right? Yeah, correct. So that's who raised me, and all his buddies were just like him. They were just like him. So I'm a product of my social and economic milieu. I'm a product of 
being raised by a real hard ass. Michigan, going back though, is your, you, I, I think I read something that your grandmother or your grand from swam across. Or My mother and grandmother swam across the Rio Grande River. Uh, they walked across, but anyway, because <laughs> the water was oh, like, gold okay. swimming, you know, yeah, sort of uh, waded 19, across. 1924, uh, and so I'm a first generation Mexican. And so, uh, but my mother and grandmother uh, were born both in a little village, which is now part of Mexico City, called Chapultepec. And so they were born there. And so uh, the, uh, my mother didn't get legal until 1951. <laughs> so she was born in 1921. She didn't get legal until 1951. Um, but, so you were uh, like a dreamer. <laughs> Earth yeah, dreamer. yeah, yeah. And, um, but I mean, so, uh, and I'm from East L.A., uh, not too far from here, uh, Boyle Heights, the, the uh, Mexican Beverly Hills, BH. And, uh, you know, when I was in grade school, I tried to kill my teacher. Uh, and, the, uh, and I'm not proud of any of this, kids. I'm not suggesting you do this. But, I mean, uh, where I came from, you fucked with somebody, you got fucked with. My cousin Ronnie... They, uh, somebody told him, he was in high school by this time, Lincoln High School, which is still there. They said, uh, in words uh, uh, to the effect, your girlfriend's got an ass like two pigs in a gunny sack. Okay. And my cousin Ronnie stabbed him 17 times. He was looking for it, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some, uh, maybe so, uh, at least one stabbing. Yeah, well, damage. 17. So he wasn't lot. very good with a knife because you didn't kill the guy. <laughs> so he went away to uh, the uh, reform school. Right. Uh, and it turned his life around. Uh, the um, it but, did turn his life. Oh around. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lucky absolutely. he could go. He can go either way. I think. No, right? Yeah, he could. He, he could, but he didn't. It's gladiator school. And he people. says, Dan, you were the troublemaker, <laughs> which I was. You were the guy that was always doing bad things. And here, you know. And I said, you didn't have to stab the guy, Ronnie. What was it that made you turn? And I don't mean like it's the wrong word, turn. What was that made you so success oriented? Was there anything you could point to an experience, just or just you always kind of like that? But you're, okay. you're always channeling. No, 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 no. I, I, I've been in jail five times. Okay. Flunked out of university three times. Okay. Ultimately came back and graduated. Only to please my mother, uh, because I was going to be the first, allegedly the first college graduate in our family, which doesn't mean shit. But anyway, I am. A especially college. nowadays. Oh yeah, especially now. Okay. It's a negative. Yeah, and um, the uh, but. Um, uh, at the height of the Vietnam War, I volunteered for the draft, 1966, and uh, uh, you've seen the movie Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, the United States Congress, when you're an officer in the American uh, military, uh, you get a, a thing from Congress that says, Officer and Gentleman. I'd been called a lot of things, but never a gentleman. <laughs> and it turned my life around and the, uh, because I, I had responsibility for other people, and it changed my life. It changed my life. So now I understand why I think I was reading some of your stuff. You said that about, I think a high, I think it was you said this that a high percentage of CEOs in the big companies have military service two and self defense. Two thirds of the Fortune thousand CEOs have military background, and two thirds of those two thirds have martial arts. Reason being, focus, commitment, discipline, discipline, and training and sacrifice. One thing I've been saying for many years, and I heard you say. Almost the same thing, but different. I always say a great part of success, large part, is about getting yourself to do the things you know you have to do, even when you don't feel like doing them every fucking day. Right? That's, I heard you say the same thing. I, I, it's so I, funny because some of our quotes like that. I say it a little different. Right? What I'm world class at, getting you to do what you don't want to do to be what you want to be. Boom. Yeah. Right? I was, yeah. When I heard that, I was like, wow, this guy, yeah. we have so many similar beliefs. Because I think yeah. those are uniform. I think. 
it's just a fact about success that it's a big part of success. It's Correct. just simply, you know, it's easy to do the things that you love to do and that you want to do. But the question is, can you get yourself to what you have to fucking do, right? Yeah. And without that, I can't see living in a power. It's very difficult because not everything is fun, although you can reframe it in your own mind, but you just got to get yourself to plod through the fucking shit. Another question. I say that the most money I've ever made is when I'm, it's the easiest to make money. The hard part is getting to the spot when you make money. True I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The day I made $100 million for me in one day, it's I mean, all the work that comes before that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was like... Uh, what do I say, guys? It, it, it's like it, like taking a shit, you know? It was easy. Someone's crawling. Can, can you hand me... What is that? Go ahead. More water. Oh. More water. I got nervous. You know why I got nervous? I'll tell you why. Because when Lisa crawled over here with that, Lisa has a talent. I bet I... No, I bet no, no, no. You I have no idea. Did. Okay. Lisa has a talent. Would you be willing to show it on the podcast? Okay, Lisa, come on. Lisa, Lisa has a talent. I want you to show Dan Pena your talent. Okay, Lisa, every, people, I believe everybody has a unique talent. Okay, Lisa can bark like a fucking dog. Watch this. No shit. Thank you. <laughs> fucking bravo. For fu so when she crawled up, I got fucked. I thought she was going to bite your leg or something. I was like, what? And then you take a fucking cricket back and bat you down. I was nervous. I was like, this is a fucking lawsuit in the making. Is that a talent or what? Yeah, yeah. You should have a reality show. She totally should. Like you know, you know, you know, cool human tricks. I was gonna say stupid, but you're not stupid. Cool. I want to be social. Very kind human tricks. No. Anyway, <laughs> one more question because we've been going almost an hour here. Yeah. Okay. Um, right now, you're starting from scratch. What industry? Would healthcare. You pick? Healthcare. Nineteen cents of every dollar spent in America is healthcare related. The same can be said of the UK, Canada. Okay, it's it's projected uh, to be twenty eight to thirty cents by in ten years of every dollar spent by the government is healthcare related, and it's only going up. Uh, and it's the only Asian going population. up. Uh, if you were born in uh, twenty nineteen, if you're a man, you're going to live to be ninety one. If you're a woman, ninety three and a half. My generation doesn't want to die, you know. Uh, and my generation, 20, 30 years on, won't want to die. Uh, and so they spend an inordinate amount of, of, of money. Unfortunately, we go from diapers to diapers. Okay? I've just seen that with my own dad. It's very yeah, sad. Yeah, it is. But it's it true. Is. And, um, the, um, but it's healthcare. And I tell the kids, this deal that I just described, the $1.5 from this 22-year-old mm -hmm. uh, aerospace engineer, he can't even spell healthcare. Okay? And uh, now he is, uh, is uh, in healthcare. Uh, healthcare is hot. The only thing hotter than healthcare in America is uh, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence. That's hotter. But the prices have been bid up so dramatically. I mean, uh, where you can buy stuff at three to six times uh, cash flow EBITDA uh, all day long in healthcare. But in cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, it's 12, 15, 16 times uh, because the, uh, the, it, there's so much interest. Every time Trump rattles his saber, um, the cybersecurity, artificial mm. intelligence stocks go up. and But uh, right now, we're at 5,000-year low for uh, interest rates. We're at a 5,000-year low. Uh, the, 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 the banks are trying to get money out it's the big door. It's negative interest rate really, real, in real terms almost. No, right? no, it is. It is negative. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely is negative. And the, uh, the, the kids today, I mean, it, it's, just, it's quite remarkable. I never thought I'd see the 80s again. It's better than the 80s. And I was part of the generation... 
that ripped the belly out of the world in America. Dude, the stock, when I went into Wall Street, I think the Dow was 30, it was like 50, like 50, 50. It was like that low. It was insane. And on a good day, it traded like maybe a million. Remember that? And like it, was, it was a different world. Correct. When the market crashed, it had this unprecedented volume, 200 million shares. Like, and they blew up the exchange now. And now it's just like, it's like a, the first hour of trading. It's just insane. The world yeah. is just completely revolutionized. Let me ask you, I want to, I, I, I would like one more question. What do you think the importance is of, of balancing out mindset versus strategy? So in other words, I, I'm a big believer that they, they, they interrelate. Like when I teach people my formula for succeeding, I don't say what the business is. I'm saying, well, there's certain things you got to know to be successful meaning you have to have the mindset straight and also certain skill sets. So say you, need, you have to know how to sell, close, persuade. You have to know how to market, get to the right people, and the basic rules of business. Like, you know, how do you fail elegantly, which I didn't know how to do in the beginning. I failed miserably. And how do you succeed? Well, I mean, how do you scale when this shit is right, right? And on the inner side, mindset meaning state management, like, you know, to keep yourself positive, getting yourself to do things you have to do and you don't feel like doing them, your beliefs, all the stuff that you teach, right? What I think happens a lot, and I want to know your opinion, is that People start off with an empowered mindset, but they lack the skill sets, so they get a shitty result, and then that creates the limiting beliefs in them. If you don't know how to, if you try to go out into the business world like I did, I was 21, I started a meat and seafood company, thinking I was going to take over the fucking world, didn't know the first thing about how to run a business, and I failed miserably, right? Lost everything, went bankrupt, okay, so I'm sure you're familiar with it, I lost everything, right? Ultimately, that brought me to Wall Street. But when I was thinking about opening my own company, I almost delayed for a time. I was like, well, maybe I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur because I failed. I broke through, but a lot of people, I think, don't. What do you think about okay, the importance well, of skill? Well, uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I, like Lou Gessner that turned around IBM 25, 30 years ago. He says, the last fucking thing we need is a strategy. All I know and all I teach is closing. I'm a hammer closer. So persuasion, okay. close the fucking uh, deal. Yeah, and it's, not, it's beyond persuasion. It's I beat him to a pulp. I beat them to a fucking pulp. If they say no 50 times, the 51st time they're going to say yes. I told you earlier on, I've seen the sun come down and go up sitting at the same fucking coffee table or kitchen table. Negotiating. Reclosing, 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 reclosing. Not taking no for a fucking yeah, answer. Yeah, no. Uh, no, no for an answer. And... Um, but 87% of the people, Gallup said in 2017, 87% of the people in the world are unhappy. I want to find the 13. I don't believe that. Unhappy. The other thing is almost 90% of all the money managed on the planet are managed by people less than 30 years old. Now, what the fuck do you know when you're less than 30 years old? Nothing. Right. When, the, when, when I believe the next retracement comes, it's going to be between 40 and 60% of the market. We're in the 11th and a half year of the greatest bull market in the history Ever, of the world. Right. Okay. 40 and 60. It's not always like this. Uh, I, I remember. All, I all your little 401ks are going to fucking disappear, you cunts. You're going to be fucking flat ass broke. I called the top of the Bitcoin market in December 2017. Me too. Yeah. To the day by accident. I knew it to the month. It was to the day I had Correct. this call uh, yeah. publicly on, yeah. C on CNN, by the way. Yeah, okay. At 20,000. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, um, uh, I called the top of the oil market in 2014. But the kids, they can't call. They can't wipe their own ass. They've got no experience. What do you possibly know when you're in your late 20s? Nothing. Less than nothing. You think you know all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you, <laughs> even, really you, know. you know the opposite right, of something. Right, right. Uh, and, and when, you, when you're, you're compared to your, 
contemporaries, the guys you hang with and chill with or whatever the word is, uh, uh, you may be look successful compared to them, but that means it's your benchmarks or your, uh, the, uh, you know, your entry, a barrier to entry is very low. Today, uh, the, the kids, uh, uh, there's kids that talk about earning six figures. I don't understand you don't that. You have to pay for your fucking diapers in a nursing home. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. fucking getting away six Yeah, you're, you know, today, right. I mean, it's a passport they have to kids misery. living in the barrio that their house is worth seven, $800,000. Right, hey, fuck yeah. Yeah, shacks. Yeah. And so, the, uh, but I'm not a uh, strategy guy. I'm a hammer closer. Uh, there's a hatchet in, in, my, in my conference room uh, that I was given on my birthday, 1977. Uh, it should have been a hammer, but it was a hatchet. Because all I know is that, uh, you know. You're a natural. Well, you're a, see, to me, you're a natural closer. You just are. You're a yeah. force of nature. I guess what I was saying is if someone is not like that naturally, oh, well, then, then you better you, fucking learn it. Oh, yeah. You, That's you, my you, point. You've got to know. Yeah, you, you have to know. learn what you don't know, shore up your weak points. And I guess because if you're not, how do you go? Th- I couldn't imagine moving through life without being able to close. It's like to me, it's my cornerstone of everything I do is the ability to get people to see things my way, negotiate. Right? I mean, I get it. Right. So it's, that's what I mean. Like I said, you know, learning what you don't know because without that, to me, but, without- and most of the, kid, the stuff that's being taught is horseshit. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's like. Um, Regurgitated eight times over and, you know. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, uh, one of the things that when I go to the business schools, I ask, how many classes have you had in buying a business? No hands go up. Yeah. How many cl- uh, classes have you gotten at selling a business? No, nobody's hands goes up. And then so last, how many classes, other than the military guys in the audience, have you had in leadership? No hands go up. And I said, you don't know how to buy. You don't know how to sell. You don't know how to lead. What the fuck are you doing here? There's a great movie, Rodney Dangerfield, Back to School. Have yeah, you seen yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Classic scene when he goes to college and he goes into a business class and he sees the insanity of what they're teaching and they're like, you know, so where should we build this fictitious? He goes, how about fucking fantasy land, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just it's not rooted in reality, you know? What do you think about kid? If you were, if you had a kid, right? Well, you had, but now 20, 18, college or no college? Send them to college or no? Um, no, no college. And I guess for me, unless they wanted to be like a doctor or a professional, like if you, I guess certain, if someone's dying, I have a certain like, you know, expertise. Yeah, but generally speaking to me, I believe not. I think it's a waste of time. I had a board meeting this morning. Uh, I'm a chairman of a company. The founder's a doctor, a vascular surgeon. And, um, uh, he wouldn't go back to medical school. And he's a successful guy. <laughs> that formula's de- dead. I mean, th- that doesn't work anymore. Uh, doctors, um, the surgeons, he used to perform uh, procedures. He got $12,000 for, for the insurance company. Now he gets 900 Crazy. That's why the great ones don't take insurance. It doesn't work, you know? Dan, you are a fucking legend. Thank you. And I respect you and, and like you more now than before I met you and I liked you a lot before I met you just by seeing what you do online and all the people that you've helped so thank you for coming thank you it was an honor really an honor to have you my and pleasure I, and I'm very much looking forward to doing it tonight okay, thank you for having me my pleasure thank you thank you everyone this was wow Dan Pena telling it like it fucking is pulling no punches with massive wisdom and the success and failure to back it up because without failure, there can't be success. Correct. Share this with your friends. Watch it. Listen to it whatever you want. God bless you. I love you all. And we'll see you again next week on the Wolf's Den. Take care. <laughs>